0: This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom
1: Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. All right, so the Democrats have the White House. They have both houses of Congress. Now what? What? So that is the big question on everybody's mind. Uh, I'm very pleased to have back with us Joe Thorndike. Joe's the director of the Tax History uh, Project at Tax Analysts. Um, As y'all know, that's a nationally recognized the authoritative um, uh, journal on uh, taxation and particularly the history of taxation. Joe's also a prolific author and his latest book is Their Fair Share, Taxing the Rich in the Age of FDR. So never has that topic, Joe, I don't know that you ever thought that topic would be quite as relevant as it is today, but welcome Joe Thorndyke.
0: Hey, it's great to be here again.
1: So um, if you would, just to, for those people who don't know you, remind us a little bit about your background and how you got into uh, being a tax historian.
0: Honestly, I, I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> and I'm not the only one, you know, there are a few others out there. Uh, but I actually, um, I started in tax, and then I went into history, and then I came back to tax, is sort of the trajectory for me. Uh, but when I came back to tax, I stuck with the history. So. Um, I started out working for tax notes um, a million years ago, um, right out of college, strangely, and then um, left tax notes, went to graduate school in American history, and then came back uh, when I was writing my dissertation, which turned out to be about taxes and um, Tom Field, the founder of Tax Analysts, hired me to come back and write about history for tax notes. So I've been doing that now for 26 years or something like that at tax notice.
1: You know, honestly, I, I know this sounds a little nerdy, but I think that sounds like a great job and, yeah. and, and a great opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think we talked before and I was in Washington DC during 1986, 1985, 86 and 87. And so I was, you know, I was in the national office of Ernst & Young back then, back when it was Ernst & Winnie. And, uh, you know, that was a big part of tax history. And, of course, you know, what happened after that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of history in that, too. So given, given your background, given what you know, um, you know, the big question in everybody's mind is how much can Joe Biden get through? He's got a 3 to $4 trillion tax plan that he would like to impose. He'd like to tax the rich. They've only got a 50-50 majority, you know, it's a 50-50, but they have a majority by one, right? By by virtue of uh, the vice president. What, what, do, what do you think, what do you see happening? And then let's talk about when you might see it happening. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, I see, I think this majority is important for the Democrats. I, I do not think it's as important as some Democrats think it is. You know, I see an awful lot of stuff on Twitter. Um, And and so let's give them this, like that Georgia, those Georgia Senate races were a big surprise, right? I I certainly didn't think it was going to turn out that way. None of the handicappers really did. It was a big surprise. And the Democrats were elated for all about 12 hours until we had last Wednesday at the Capitol, which sort of evaporated all the elation. But, um, you know, I, I, the, then the problem is, is that a lot of Democrats were like, oh, well now we're gonna do everything. And you see it, especially around environmental policy. And I you know there's stuff on Twitter, they're like, now there are no excuses. And I'm like, well, there are actually great excuses. <laughs> and the great excuses are basically the filibuster, right? It actually takes 60 votes in the Senate to do anything meaningful most of the time. Um, that's not true about taxes. <laughs> that's the thing, right? So for tax policy, for tax changes, you actually can do stuff with just 50 votes plus 1. So, it is possible that Biden and the Democrats are going to be able to get some of their tax agenda over the line. And that's and that's different
1: than most of the Democratic agenda. So, so what do you think uh, so what do you think they will be able to get over the line and what's keeping them from getting more of it over the line? All
0: right. So, I, like I said, it it um, you know, it it takes 60 votes to get most legislation over the line, but uh, there is a way around it for tax policy. You can use the reconciliation process, and I mean it is way too arcane to try to get very far into it right now. But basically, it's a a budget process that allows the majority party to pass a budget resolution and then a reconciliation bill that um, that basically implements the budget resolution. And the and and so let's say the budget resolution says that they need to pass, you know this amount of new spending and this amount of new, ta- uh, this amount of new taxes. And then they can pass a bill that does those things. And that bill, that implementing legislation can't be filibustered. It can be passed by just 50 votes plus one. So they get a good shot at it, right? So let's say the tax parts of that, they can get a tax bill over the line with just that 50 vote majority plus Kamala Harris's vote. Um, so, you know, I, that that gives them basically one bite at the apple. Um, they're going to get one- All Right, two, that's
1: the question. I mean, how often can they do that reconciliation just one process? Time,
0: um, you know, uh, so- once if, a year? Basically once a year. I mean, it, it. it's technical and there are, they could pass a second budget resolution in theory, but they don't generally, they don't do that. Um, they can pass three reconciliation bills, but they can only, each reconciliation bill, one of them can do tax, one of them can do spending, one of them can do the budget, uh, the, the debt limit but you can only touch each of those topics once. And what happens sometimes is they pass one bill and it touches all the spending stuff and barely touches a little bit of the tax. And then they wanna go back and do tax again. Nope, you've already touched tax a little bit, can't touch it at all again. So basically you gotta be careful. You get one bite at the apple. So they're gonna get one shot at passing tax legislation using the reconciliation process. And let's just establish right now that most tax legislation will not pass outside of reconciliation, Um, unless it's a big tax cut of some sort. And and let's just bracket that and say, there probably is some tax legislation that could pass outside reconciliation because it's a tax cut. Biden does have certain tax cuts that he's supported, uh, particularly at the low end, some refundable tax credits, which might get support. Um, It's possible to imagine that, but um, especially these tax increases, those are not going anywhere except possibly through reconciliation. And even there, it's going to be a heavy lift, because there are certain people in the Senate who are going to be hard to convince. And in particular, the name that everyone needs to keep in mind, Joe Manchin, the blue senator from a red state. Uh, He's a senator from West Virginia. He is not going to be an easy sell on any tax increase. Um, he, He might be willing to take some, but he's, you know, for instance, on the estate tax, he has voted for repeal of the estate tax in the past, so he is not gonna be an easy sell.
1: Well, so let's let's look at some of these things. So, so we kind of break down Biden's tax wishes, okay? We can break them down into um, rate increases, right? We can break them down into uh, shifts in incentives and we can break them and then there's the estate tax. So what I'm hearing is, okay, we hopefully we can put the estate tax to bed um, we'll, we'll, hopefully we, we can rely on um, the Senator from West Virginia um, to avoid that. So what do you think is, you know, what's likely to um, pass in, in this first reconciliation bill?
0: Well, so, all right, I, I, you know, I spent some time thinking about this. I did a little reading around. I've been trying to th- see what the smart people think. The Wall Street Journal ran something the other day that said, you know, there's a much better chance that Biden's going to be able to pursue his agenda. Uh, and, and I was like, yeah, I, I, what did they say? I think it was like a much stronger possibility. And I was like, well, much stronger in the sense that like 20 percent is more than zero percent. Um, I, I, I think that there is I, I think the, uh, the best chances are the, are the tax cuts. Um, are, are like the refundable tax credits for child care and for home buying and for retirement savings. The uh, chairman of the House um, Ways and Means Committee is is in favor of uh, new retirement savings incentives. I think some of those sorts of things um, stand a pretty good chance because you know, you've got a pretty good chance of getting most Republicans on board for most tax kinds of tax cuts. Refundable tax cr- credits are controversial sometimes.
1: Right. What, what, what about, for example, the um... You know the climate type uh credits and tra- the climate incentives things like uh renewable energy and solar and and that kind of thing do you see that being having to be in the reconciliation bill or do you think they'll be able to get 60 votes for that
0: you know the politics on that shift a lot all the time you can sometimes find republican votes for that um it really and often that depends on the broader political forces in play you know often the parties decide that they are not interested in delivering victories to the other party for any reason. Um, and that just happens all the time. Um, and so the Republicans may decide that they're just not interested in helping the, the Democrats over the line on anything right now, um, or they may decide they are. And I mean, let's just say that the politics in Washington are very fluid at this moment, right? We don't know, and, and I mean, I as a historian, I've never seen a moment like this. And we're in the midst of what's going to be a second impeachment uh, in right any, in any moment and how that's going to play out we don't really know there are probably going to be some republican votes for that impeachment which is not the same as it was as before how that is going to play out we don't know um there are a group of senators um which is bipartisan um and we don't know in but they're in the middle you know they're in the, sort of the middle of the ideological spectrum how those people are going to vote we don't know so i don't know you know these sorts of those sorts of credits could conceivably find a constituency so I do think there's a possibility that some of that some of those green energy credits could find votes in a way that they could not say during parts of the Obama administration. It's I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine a, a bipartisan moment for say early in the Biden presidency. I could also imagine that this impeachment drive poisons the well in such a way that we have no bipartisan movement at all. So, it is too early to tell. I mean, you're asking me this week and I think maybe in two weeks, we'll have a much better idea, but it's hard to say so, right now.
1: So, so the last time you were on the show, we talked about um, MMT, uh, magic money theory. Um, that's what, how I refer to it anyway. And and um, that's, that's the Democrats platform right now. So uh, under that theory, you don't need taxation to spend. So the only reason presumably for taxation is either to incentivize or disincentivize, right, or to punish, right? And so, where do you think the Democrats will go with that? Let's say the Democrats, you know, do this; they'll do a reconciliation bill. We all expect that, and they will put their tax wish list in there. What do you think they can get by their own senators that will that would pass in that reconciliation bill? I can't imagine that um,
0: any kind of MMT scale um policy set set of policy proposals is is in serious consideration at this point. I mean, this is way too moderate a it's way too close, right? That the, the the Senate majority is way too small. The House majority is really small. You have you have members yeah. of the House Democratic caucus like Abigail Spanberger from Virginia, um, or um I'm spacing on his name. His name right now. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania. But in
1: any case, there are a lot of very moderate Democrats who are not in the House who are not going to go for that. So yeah, yeah, but 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 let's let's take the pandemic on top of this, right? So there's this huge feeling of we need to take care of people, and that uh, it, because of this pandemic. And so you know, I mean, Biden's already talking about a two to three trillion dollar additional stimulus bill for the pandemic. Could they not use that? As their mechanism to get some of these tax increases, I
0: do think. uh, Well, I don't think you'll see that. I don't think they'll use tax increases in that moment. I think that is where the (laughs) the MMT-style spending might actually happen. I I mean, so uh, you know, it was President Trump who suggested the $2,000 checks, and and you might find a you might find a constituency for that. I mean, certainly President-elect Biden has endorsed that idea. Uh,
1: There's pretty broad support for oh, that. Vice United President elect Harris, Harris has suggested $2,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, th- this is un- universal basic income that she's talking about and and not replacing any other programs, which of course is I'm actually okay with the idea of universal basic income if we got rid of all the welfare programs, right? It it, it probably would be cheaper to have universal basic income than it would to have all the welfare programs. But she suggested having $2,000 a month, at least through the end of the pandemic. She wanted to go back in in August. She was talking about going back to March and actually catching people up on $2,000 a month. So, I mean, is that possible? I mean, could we see that size? I mean, that would be enormous. Could we see
0: that? Joe Manchin is never gonna vote for that. Neither is John Tester. Neither are your Arizona senators.
1: No, they're not. I don't no, think are, they will. There are
0: four Democrats right there who are never going to vote for that. And and Joe Manchin has already said he doesn't support a $2,000 um stimulus payment. I think he's I think he's soft on that opposition, um but but um but he's never going to support, you know, something bigger than that. So I I I I wouldn't think that. Again, so what are we going to see? I think we'll probably see a spending package that comes through pretty I I, I think it's I think it's possible we see a spending package, a pandemic relief package pretty early in this uh, Biden presidency. And that may include a number of sort of progressive priorities. Um, it may include some of these refundable tax credits and things like that. It may inc- include uh, changes to the ACA, the uh, Affordable Care Act, that Democrats are very eager to make um, and could be you know, easily sort of thematically bundled in with a pandemic uh, relief uh, bill. So I, I think that that's where some of the progressive uh, priorities might be made, uh, you know, might be included, because that's going to be the problem that Biden's going to have, right, is that there's going to be a lot of pressure on him uh, for things like the Green New Deal, right, um, that he's not going to have the money for or the support for in the, in the, in the Senate. Uh, and, and what is he going to do? He can't say no to everything they want, <laughs> right? He's got, he's got a problem on his left. So he's got to find something to give them. And, and I think that some of that may come in the form of like direct spending in the pandemic
1: bill. Well, and then, and then another question is of course, uh, President Trump used executive order for tax policy. Um, you know, we saw he used it for unemployment. Uh, i think i think everybody forgets that the reason they had unemployment for an additional four months was because of an executive order so will biden use an executive order he said he's already said he's going to undo a lot of trump's executive orders will he use that himself and can he use that uh, to enact some of this uh additional policy and do some of these things that perhaps the left wants done
0: yeah i mean you know the the presidency i think we' I think we have seen has uh, 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 in the last two presidencies we've seen that the the presidency actually is quite powerful um but but i I would be i would be surprised many of these um many of these progressive um priorities are quite expensive and you can't just manufacture the money out of thin air as president trump discovered with the wall um it was hard for him to come up with the money for that (laughs) because you can't just create it you know he was able to redirect some money it, but he, didn't, he wasn't able to come up with as much money as he wanted. So it, it, in truth, it is difficult to just create things out of thin air as the president. Um, so I, I would be surprised. Um, I do think one thing that's, in, that's possible, especially in tax, is that Congress might try to roll back a lot of tax regulations early on. They have that capacity to roll, to roll back a lot of the ones that have been enacted since this summer. Uh, but as my colleague Marty Sullivan recently pointed out, that's not easy either. Congress can roll those things back one at a time, but it's very it's very difficult for them, and it it constrains them a lot.
1: Well, I mean, are are you think there are are there tax regulations? My my experience with the, the current um, IRS and and Treasury have the, been the tax regulations haven't exactly been taxpayer friendly. So um, you know, the, yeah, they can roll them back, but will that actually help them?
0: Well, uh, I mean that they they might the Marty's view is that some of them are taxpayer-friendly, and actually, that would make it difficult to roll them back <laughs> because a lot of Democrats won't be inclined to roll them back because they have constituents who like them. But in but in any case, um, it's cumbersome because uh, they have to roll them back one at a time. Each of them has to be debated for a long time on the floor, and then it constrains them from doing any to enacting new re- from enacting new regulations on the same topic. And so they're, you know, they're not going to want to do it. So, but they did it at the end of the, at the end of the Obama reg, uh, administration, that the, uh, the Republicans in Congress rolled back a lot of the Obama regulation. So it's one way in which the Democrats might try to change, you know, a lot of Republican priorities, but only the recent ones. So I, I don't, I don't really think, I don't know that that will happen either. So, but,
1: so, um, so let me ask, so let me ask this question. So, um, to me one of the most important parts of this win for the democrats in georgia is that uh bills come to the floor that chuck schumer wants not that mitch mcconnell wants and so it seems to me like we'll get bills uh at least debated on the floor and there will be a political um will to debate them even if they don't get passed uh perhaps um when chuck schumer because chuck schumer's seems to take a lot of direction from Nancy Pelosi. And and so uh, we're gonna see, it seems to me more bills coming to the floor. One of uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, primary targets has been the $10,000 cap on the state and local uh, in- income tax. Do you think that will come to the floor? Do you think that's possibility of being repealed?
0: Uh, I think that that's not out of the question. Uh, it's and, and Chuck Schumer's from New York. I mean, he's... <laughs> yeah. And Nancy Pelosi is from California, right? So, so uh, there are definitely a lot of Democrats who like the idea of repealing that cap. Um, and there are a lot of progressive Democrats who think that's a terrible idea, right? Because it's 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 not a progressive policy. Right. I, I would not be surprised to see them try to roll that in because it's taxpayer friendly, right? It's, uh, and it's hard to see that that would be, um, it, it wouldn't be broadly unpopular, right? Because there aren't, there's not gonna be people in the streets complaining about that. It's a, that's a wonkish complaint, right? That's like the Urban Institute and the Brookings Institution are gonna complain about that but not regular taxpayers because it's not. It's it's not this. Case. No, it's it's
1: a policy issue as opposed to right. a, you know a right. practical issue because practically right. people are going to go well. I want I want more deduction. Nobody right. nobody tends to turn down tax deductions. Let me ask you uh, one more question because the one the one area that I've always felt they might be able to get through is the is raising the top rate uh, to Joe Biden's back to the thirty nine point six percent. I've always felt like forty percent is a magic number. And that they've been very careful not to not to broach that forty percent rate, um, and they have stayed underneath that forty percent rate. Do you think that that's a legitimate possibility of if that's all they do is just raising the rates of people over four hundred thousand dollars, which is Joe's target? I mean, I think it's it's not a
0: big it's not a big hike. It's, you know, it's only a couple of percentage points that they're looking for on that, as opposed to say raising the corporate rate from twenty one back to twenty eight, which would be an enormous change back in the other direction, right? that's a, I think that's much less likely. Um, this returning the top rate to where it used to be seems to me like an easier lift, but in general, <laughs> let's remember where the Democrats won this election. They won this election in the suburbs. And that's right. so uh, it, my guess would be that they're not gonna antagonize the suburbs more than they have to, which is one reason why removing the cap on um, property taxes is, is probably popular for them. And it's you know, something that they like because That does well in the suburbs. And who lives in suburbs? People who are doing relatively well. The kind of people who are going to not be interested, who who might care about that top rate. So um, I'm not, I I would be uh, in the constellation of things that might happen. I would put um, a hike in the top rate as relatively low. And in a world where they aren't going to be able to get many of these priorities across the line, right? I think that that's relatively unlikely. I, I don't really think there are going to be that many tax increases across happening, mostly because we are in a relatively unstable economic situation. It's not a great moment economic moment. There are arguments to be made. John Maynard Keynes made them that you can tax people in a in a recession and it's okay. The, The economy might even do better. But in general. Most economists don't counsel that as good advice. Don't don't take that as good advice these days. And I think, you know, discretion is the better part of valor and they will not choose to go that route better to just spend the money. They're just going to cut taxes in certain places. And I just don't, I don't see them trying to antagonize people like that right now. They've got bigger fish to fry. Um, Well, and
1: and speaking of that, so let's talk about those bigger fish just for a minute um, before we wrap up here. Uh, We know that uh, President-elect Biden has talked about uh, immigration and immigration reform. Uh, Of course, President Trump uh, did a lot of that by executive order. They did it by regulation. Um, Certainly, there's been a lot of regulation rollback um, on the uh, climate, and uh, presumably we will see that those regulations come back. the climate we'd certainly uh expect uh the paris climate accord you know we're gonna we'll sign back onto that uh who knows we'll sign back onto the iran deal you know these aren't really tax issues but they have financial consequences to them so you know that you 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 do have this question do we have to fund it and that's uh, that's the fundamental question do we have to fund anything we do from a um, immigration standpoint? Do we have to fund, for example, if we do a, uh, one of uh, President elect Biden's uh, primary targets, of course, is national health care and a, uh, a, an, a federal, a public option. And does that come along, you know, does that come in a reconciliation bill? Because that's not going to come outside of a reconciliation bill. What, what do you think, what do you think just more broadly uh, the Democrats can get through?
0: That would be a pretty heavy lift for for the first year. I mean, it's, well, let's look, and we're really talking about one year here because by the time we get into next year, everybody's going to be in full-on campaign mode. Right. In 2022, there's not going to be any major legislation moving. So we're really talking about this year. And the problem with this year is that the pandemic overshadows everything. And, and I think that the administration is in all likelihood going to be mostly concerned with getting vaccines out and into people's arms and an inadequate supply. So it, it's kind of implausible to me that they're gonna try something as controversial as a public auction. I mean, you know, maybe they lower the Medicare, Medicare age to 60, um, which is broadly popular, polls. Or, or they could raise the Medicaid, you know, income level. Uh, they, right? they, you know, make Medicaid, uh, they expand Medicaid, uh, which has also generally polls fairly well. Um, but, but I, I mean, a public option would be would be much harder than both of those things. and of course, Medicare for all is ridiculously hard to a <laughs> non-starter. Yeah. So I just I don't see that stuff happening. i I think this year is going to be eaten up by just the nuts and bolts of trying to get the trying to get the vaccine out and trying to get the country moving out of this thing because we are a long way from being back to normal and and uh, I, I just think, that's why I'm, I'm actually pretty dubious about any tax increases because it's just risky. Uh, I think you, you see some some effort in that direction to try to make the progressive side of the party um, reasonably happy, but not at the expense of, of risking uh, the recovery, you know, which is what all anyone really cares about. Um, that's you know, if you're a politician looking at the 2022 election and worried about that narrow majority in the Senate and holding on to your majority in the House, And hoping that you can elect a Democrat again in 2024, you're not taking chances. That's just not what you're doing. That's, I don't know. You're looking at those suburbs. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well well Joe, I, I find this to be a very a very hopeful conversation so I know we, we we're all you know our clients are very very concerned about this um, they they're they're right now they are shaking in their boots I'm telling you I hear from clients they are shaking in their boots about this I tell them you know what it's not the end of the world uh, their chances of getting this through are pretty slim. Um, You know, and I, I, you know, I pretty much say, well, you know what, probably the worst they could do is raise that top rate to 39.6%. I don't see a whole lot more than that. So uh, Joe Thorndike, author of um, Their Fair Share, Taxing the Rich in the Age of FDR. Um, Here we have Taxing the Rich in the Age of Joe Biden. And uh, that's, that's really what we've got. Any final words? Um, if, if you were a practicing uh, CPA, you were, you, know, you were a taxpayer out there, what would, you, um, what would you be doing right now? I would
0: not be that worried. <laughs> I really wouldn't. I really, I wrote this, I, I, I tweeted this out the other day. I really wanna introduce the markets to Joe Manchin. I think everyone would be much happier. <laughs> He is—he is, he is not going to scare you, people. He—he he almost became a Republican. <laughs> I really mean this. I really think it is going to be much more moderate. There are four—at least four—Democrats in the Senate who would make most Republicans feel pretty secure. So I don't think you have too much to worry about.
1: That—that—that that, that means that 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 any one senator in the in the Democratic side uh, definitely has a lot of veto power there. So, Absolutely, um, it's President Joe Manchin is what you really should be <laughs> so, so we all need to support him, that's for sure. All right, well, thank you, Joe Thorndike. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, th- this is great, great news. Uh, don't be so worried, you know, this isn't the end of the world. Uh, frankly, I never thought it was. And just remember that when we stay on top of this stuff, you know, what happens is our clients, our, our job with our clients is really to calm them down, to give them some sense of security, let them know that we're on top of things, let them know the world is not ending, despite what, uh, what uh, Twitter may say. And, uh, and when we do that, we always end up with better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. You've
0: been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.